This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Melanie, the girl who once got so drunk that she wore a coffee filter on her head like a bonnet. I'm not even ashamed. (laughs) I'm not. And that's Miranda, who enjoys the disgusting hostess snack, Snowballs. Oh, they're my favorite. I love snowballs. I know you do. And I'm not even sorry. I'm not even (laughs) sorry. So how's your week been? A little wild, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Highlights or lowlights, depending on how you look at it. Uh Uh-oh. For you listeners out there, Miranda and I both drive Priuses. Oh, my gosh. We we do. part of the... We are part of the Prius family. We are Prius Pisces sisters. I just want everyone to know that. But we are not pious Prius Pisces sisters. Oh, my goodness. Don't say that again. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I have had my Prius for over eight years now, and I have had no issues with it whatsoever. It still kind of even smells new. Like when I go for rides with you, it has like a lingering new car smell. A little bit, Mm -hmm. a touch. I mean, chocolate milk has taken out most of that. Okay, so I swear it's because she heard me. I was telling a coworker in the parking lot that I was probably going to trade her in soon. Because, like I said, I've I've had her. Well, later that day, I went to lunch and I turned her on because I was going to listen to a podcast. Mm -hmm. And a whole bunch of lights were on. Oh, that's never good. a whole bunch of lights. Never a good sign. No, and I've never had any trouble with it before. Uh, So, you know, of course, I turned it off, turned it back on, patted my head, rubbed my stomach, and spun in circles (laughs) three times. Like, you know, whatever. Lights all still on. So I go back into the office, and I Google that combination of lights. And all of the things that pop up say do not drive do not drive (gasps) no are you serious oh yeah no i'm serious oh my gosh you had like threat level midnight on the dashboard it was it was oh my gosh Um, apparently the particular combination of lights that were Mm -hmm. on was an indication of a brake system issue so it said that the brake system could completely fail not good at any given point no not at all that's not what we want to happen no to you so then i'm like like, oh my gosh, well, I don't want to overreact and like freak out and get it towed or anything like that because, you know, um, the bottom line is money. I'm like, how, how can I do this? Mm. I keep reading things and I'm like, you know, they're like, oh, well, my wife drove her car like that for 
a hundred miles or something Hmm. and i'm like okay 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 (laughs) so um you know i know it's a breaking issue the dealership is not super far from our office so i take off oh my god leaving like two school bus links between me and (laughs) the the vehicle in front of me yet again melanie you are like the bravest person that i know because i would have made my husband come and do that i would have been like so come drive my car because it's broken <laughs> you know and, that's and not I how i operate I, I have to i have to handle it myself you are an independent woman okay you're the one that beyonce sang about so anyway i'm leaving and and the road that i have to take to get to the dealership is extremely busy like it's probably one of the busiest roads in this area mm. And so I'm getting looks from people beside me for the amount of space that I'm leaving between me and the cars in front <laughs> oh, of me. No. Like I, I can tell, like people are like, "What? What is, is going, going on? on with this crazy old lady in this Prius up ahead?" R- right. <laughs> so I turn into the dealership. So I'm like, "Oh, sigh of relief! Right, thank okay. God you made it." They have this crazy system where there's like garage doors that open, and you're supposed to drive your car in, and and they have this whole staff of like old men that are the ones that relay the cars that are being worked on yeah you know love it so you have to pull in the bay and like pull through now mind you i've been on the edge of a panic attack about not (laughs) being able to stop this whole time and this old man is standing right in front of my car, motioning no. for me to come closer to him. <laughs> You're like, sir, I am about to break your kneecaps. Please step and aside. And I'm like shaking my head. No, I'm like, no, no, sir, no. And he's like, you can do it. You can do it. And I'm sitting there going, oh, oh man. Oh, my God. He asked for it. And oh, thank Senior the Lord. Citizen I, mowed down by Prius in I Toyota know. dealership. Well, I would have pinned him bay. to the wall. Like, <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, oh my gosh. I, I was just very grateful that it stopped. I put it in park. And this wow. is a very, very, very busy service center. And uh, they come over and they're like, you know, with their iPads, like, what name is the appointment under? I go, oh, no, no. <laughs> there's no appointment. I said, take a look. And like three of them lean in there and look and they're like, oh, you can't drive it like that. Okay, there it is. I I know. (laughs) That's that's why it's here. That's why it's here, sirs. Google told me. But anyway, (laughs) she's all fixed now. She she had an issue that was covered by What ended up happening? What was it? Well, and it's way over my head, so I won't go into like a bunch of details because I don't get them. But um there's something with the Prius of what makes it so fuel efficient is somehow tied to its braking system. Yeah, because braking exactly charges the battery. Yeah. So in some way. Well, there's this component that oversees and makes all of that happen. Okay. And that is what was bad. Oh. It's called a brake booster if i understood gotcha it. but anyway all you mechanics out there we're sorry we i probably said that wrong <laughs> this but is not fixed. this is not motherhood mayhem and mechanics over here okay it's not <laughs> we it's don't not. we don't know nothing about cars but i do know that a prius when you break it the braking action charges the battery i did know that so that's pretty there critical if something was wrong with the thing that oversees that because that's tied to your whole power source but 
at the end of the day, it's fixed, and I did not mow down an old man and you because didn't, he told me to. And you said it was covered under warranty? So, like, did you yep. even have to pay anything? No. No, I did not. You did Thank not have to Toyota. pay anything. Nope. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Ugh. So, so how was your week? You, you got really lucky there. Well, I, I, I was going to tell you, so you know how I've got Fisher at the YMCA now? So I've actually yes. been going to the gym and working out. Woo, woo. Awesome. And I've been feeling really good and I'm enjoying it because that's like my me time to get on the elliptical and watch Netflix on my phone for like 45 minutes. But check this out. This is so random and crazy. I'm going to have to cancel one of my gym nights and get a little out of my gym routine because I have a new routine I'm starting. Okay. I may or may not have joined a choir. It sounds like you definitely did. <laughs> I joined a choir. And when I tell you, it is like, it's an all-women's choir. And I'm, wow. I'm like the youngest one by about 35 years. It's fantastic. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. So one of my coworkers is in this choir and she found out that, you know, I enjoy singing and all of this. And she's like, oh my God, you should join this choir. We are, you know, just a, a group of gals that get together and sing and we raise money for like different local charities and stuff. And I'm like, that is so beautiful. What a great, you know, basically they do two big concerts a year and each concert they just raise a ton of money for these different charities. So I actually went to the one, their their concert in the in the winter um, at the at the end of last year and oh, okay. and they raised over $7,500 for a women's shelter and like for, wow, for women that's a lot of money and children that's good. I know so I'm like this is a really great group um, of, of women and you know they're doing these really awesome things I didn't have to audition it's a non-auditioned choir which um, <laughs> in some cases is really good in some cases maybe not so good because we got some yeah. we got some voices in there Anyway, it's at this gorgeous Presbyterian church downtown. The acoustics are just amazing. And so I actually had my first choir rehearsal last week. That uh, is really random. It was so random, but I, I really think I'm going to like it. You know, there's only, I think, maybe a handful of rehearsals. I think there's like eight or ten rehearsals, and then it's the spring concert. Um, so okay. uh, everyone kind of brings forward a charity that they want to recognize with donations for the spring concert. And then we all vote on which one is, is the one we want to use. And then that's what all the proceeds go to. It was kind of a funny story because I drive to the Presbyterian Church, which is just a couple of blocks down the road. And it's it's downtown, so big roads, big street, busy streets, lots of cars, lots of people. And as I go to turn in to the parking lot of the Presbyterian Church, there are like these two, like three, four-year-old little boys that are just running down the sidewalk. And I no. do not see mama in sight. And I... That stresses me out. Whoo, I go into, like, mama bear mode, and I'm like, oh my gosh, these children broke away from their parents, and they are out here just running amok on this busy, busy sidewalk next to this very, very, very busy road. So I whip in my Prius <laughs> into the parking lot, um, and I, I, like, jump out, and I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not going to put my hands on anybody else's children, but I move in that direction 
direction. Like I'm kind of following them and I'm looking for a parent. I'm, I'm literally like a shepherd dog. I'm like an Australian shepherd with these two little boys. And I am just like making sure that they don't run out in the middle of the road on this busy street. Um, and anyway, here comes the mom and she's like barreling down the sidewalk, pushing a stroller sheer oh, sheer panic on her face and she's just like shit 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 <laughs> i i that is what i would have been saying as well <laughs> me too and i'm like girl i have got you your boys are right here and they are good and she's like oh my god thank you she's like i can't believe they got away shit 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 <laughs> <laughs> right in My front goodness. of like the giant Presbyterian church. So I'm like, this is a good sign. This is this is where I'm meant to be. So um, yeah, apparently. <laughs> so I got those little boys back to their mama. And then I went and I just sang my little heart out that night. And it was so fun. It was such a good, good. time. Yes, yes. Good, good, good. You know what time it is. It's your favorite time of the whole entire week. It's time for... Medical Mysteries with Melanie. Yay! <laughs> it's at least my favorite time of the week. It's I love it. Okay, folks. So our topic for this week is kidney stones. Dun. Now, I fully understand that that might not be that much of a mystery to some folks, but I thought that we should actually examine it and see, you know, hey, I hear all these people talking about kidney stones. What's going on there? What is that? And after today, after today, you're going to know. I wanted to start with, of course, obviously, to understand a kidney stone, we need to know what the kidneys are. So here's a brief overview of kidneys. The kidneys are a pair of bean-shaped organs on either side of your spine. Bean-shaped. <laughs> they that. are below your ribs and behind your belly. Each kidney is roughly the size of a large fist. So hmm, that's good pretty to know. big, actually. Wow. I, I didn't, didn't think they were quite that big, but hmm. the kidney's job is to filter your blood. They remove waste and control the body's fluid balance and keep the right levels of electrolytes. Hmm. This I thought was fascinating. All of the blood in your body passes through your kidneys approximately 40 times per day. What? Yep. All of the blood? In All your, your blood whole body. goes through there 40 times a day. Wow. Those things I know. are working hard. They are working hard. They're working hard. So the blood comes into the kidney and waste gets removed Salt, water, and minerals are adjusted if needed, and then the filtered blood goes back into your body. Hmm. The waste gets turned into urine, which collects in the kidney's pelvis, a funnel-shaped structure that drains down the tube called the ureter to the bladder. Oh. So that's, it's all tied together. So the kidneys filter the blood, uh -huh. and then the waste from the blood uh -huh goes down into the bladder and urine is what's excreted. So I felt like that was important foundation for us to have before we start talking about kidney stones. Most definitely. So we know these kidneys are working hard all day, all day, all night. They're working hard. They work hard for the money. <laughs> they, they sure do. So firstly, I wanted to talk about how common kidney stones are. Each year, more than half a million people go to the emergency room for kidney stone problems. 
It is estimated that one in 10 people will have a kidney stone at some time in their life. So pretty common. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. Pretty common. So what is a kidney stone? We need to we need to establish that. We know what the kidneys are now, but what is the stone? The kidney stone is a hard object that is made from chemicals in the urine. So all of that waste that the kidney filters out, sometimes it will form crystals. Mm. And those crystals will attract other elements and then that becomes a stone. Wow. So yeah. It's not supposed to happen, but it does sometimes happen. Um, After it's formed, it may stay in the kidney or it may travel down the urinary tract into the ureter. Sometimes tiny stones, like people pass those and they don't even know that Hmm, they had them. Um, But the stones that don't move cause a backup of urine into the kidneys. Like so through the ureter, the bladder, it's it's a mess. So that's what happens if it causes a blockage. There are different types of kidney stones. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot about that, but they do typically test kidney stones when they remove them to establish what kind it is Mm -hmm. so that they can tell you what you need to be avoiding. Because the four different types of kidney stones are caused by different levels that are out of balance. Oh. If that makes sense. So I'm sure you've known people who have kidney stones a lot of people a lot of people and and i have a good friend who has had many and i I think one of my first experiences that i remember having with kidney stones was when i was in college the guy that i was dating had a kidney stone Mm -hmm. and i have never seen someone seem like they were in so much pain oh wow and he was kind of a tough guy when it came to pain type stuff Mm -hmm. It, it, I mean, he was in a ball on the floor. Oh, my god! <laughs> like, that's how bad it hurt. I mean, so, I've heard they are, like, so, so painful. Yeah. So common symptoms of kidney stones include severe pain in the lower back, blood in your urine, nausea, vomiting, fever, and usually your urine smells really bad or looks cloudy hmm. if you've got kidney stones. Okay. Now, often the pain level is compared to that of childbirth. <gasps> now, I don't what? know about that. Oh, my goodness. I don't know about, I, I don't know how we could ever get a comparison on that. Yeah, but, that would be um, a hard thing to, to measure there. But, I mean, it's like, here's this really great big thing passing through this really small tube. <laughs> so, I could see how people could right. make that connection, at least. definitely some similarities there Uh, it would be such a hard thing to really determine if it's the same but yeah anyway okay so with all of the things that we talk about what causes these kidney stones you know yeah i don't know about you but i want to do whatever i can to avoid this because it sounds bad oh heck yes so possible causes include drinking too little water so water i've heard that water yeah um stay hydrated people Exercise either too much or too little, which is interesting. Hmm, Yeah. You got to be in that sweet spot somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Well, and you talked about electrolytes and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's a big part of of where exercise can come into play. Um, Obesity. uh, A lot of folks end up with kidney stones after weight loss surgery. 
which is interesting. That is interesting. Hmm. Um, And then, of course, eating food that has too much salt or sugar. Okay. So... We'll talk a little bit more about that, but um, there are also some certain certain types of kidney stones that a family history, uh, there can be a family history, and that's a whole different animal. The main, the main causes are too much salt, too much sugar, and not enough water. So, how do we treat them if we end up with one? Do tell. Do you know? Do tell. <laughs> one one of the first steps that they often take is what's called shockwave lithotripsy. Mm. Um, and that's a non-invasive procedure where they use a high-energy sound wave to blast the stones into smaller fragments. Now, it's important to remember, they're busting them up into smaller fragments, but those fragments still have to get out of you. Right, you're still going to pass those fragments. Hopefully, they're going to get busted up pretty small. Now, there's certain stones, depending on where they're placed or whatnot, that is is not always an option. Um, And I might say this wrong, but sometimes they use a uteroscopy which is an endoscope that goes through your ureter Ooh. to get it. Oh, that, and that sounds so painful. Sound fun. That sounds and, bad. And then the third option is um, rarely used, but I have known someone who had to have it done. Um, for very large or complicated stones, they actually have to do a surgery. They have to do a surgery where they cut in and then remove it. Um, okay, prevention. Prevention. We touched on a few things that you've probably already inferred what you can do to prevent them, but here is the full list of tips that I'm going to provide. Drink enough fluid to keep your urine less concentrated. So the whole goal here is less concentrated urine. Mm-hmm. Most of the fluid you drink should be water. And a majority of people should consume at least 12 glasses of water per day. Oh, my gosh. I'm so behind on that. I'm so behind on that. Oh, my gosh. But water is better than soda, sports drinks, coffee, tea, beer, wine. It's better. Water's better than all of those things. And what if all you drink all day is like coffee, tea, and beer? No. (laughs) You're going to get kidney stones. And no water. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would not be that would not be great. Oh gosh, I another work on this. I another this. important tip to remember is that if you exercise and it's hot out, mm-hmm. you should drink more water because sure. obviously you know you're sweating and you're getting dehydrated. Okay, avoid sugar and high fructose corn syrup. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting correlation between high fructose corn syrup and kidney stones. Really? So I thought that was interesting. Well, then I wonder because you know some countries have banned high fructose corn syrup and like they don't even have it in anything. They just have like cane sugar, or, like raw sugar. And so I wonder yeah. if like if you looked at those demographics of like people from those countries, like if they would have more prevalence of kidney stones. It Some, would be interesting. Probably somebody so. do the science. Somebody do the science out there. <laughs> Unless they're just drinking an enormous amount of water. I don't I would think that places where you can get high fructose corn syrup would have more kidney stones. Right. Probably. Right. Um, okay. Next tip. Eat more fruits and vegetables which make the urine less acidic. 
When your urine has less acid, the stones will be less likely to form. Animal protein produces urine that has more acid, which can increase your risk of kidney stones. So here's a really interesting thing that um, I came upon here. If you eat a high protein diet, Mm-hmm. Not to call out the keto folks, mm-hmm. but a high protein diet, which includes high amounts of animal protein, it is quite likely that you will end up with kidney stones. You do need adequate protein, but it needs to be part of a balanced diet, mm-hmm. not just a full protein mm-hmm. situation. Reduce salt in your diet. Here's a funny thing that they pointed out. One of the articles I was reading was that, yeah, well, people always think about, like, French fries and potato chips, those kind of things. And I do, too, actually. When I think of salty foods, it's like, oh, well, okay, eat less Pringles, whatever. Um, But it says you really need to be uh, cognizant of canned soups, sandwich meats, Mm -hmm. prepackaged meals, and even a lot of the sports drinks that are on the market have a lot of sodium in them. So much sodium. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that about the canned canned stuff because that's where most of the sodium is lurking is in like canned goods, like canned soups and stuff. Definitely any kind of like meat that's like in a can, you know. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're we're in the south, okay? And I'm just telling y'all, my dad, he loves Vienna sausages. <laughs> and those things are loaded with sodium. Um and so is any kind of frozen meal that you get, like a like a, sure a prepped pre put together frozen meal. And I'm just going to tell y'all too, my guilty pleasure is those Jimmy Dean breakfast sandwiches. Oh my God, I ate like three of those a day when I was pregnant. I love those things so much. <laughs> I don't know. And why. have you looked? Have you looked at the sodium? <laughs> it's like eight hundred milligrams. Oh my gosh! Serving. No. <laughs> well, the important thing to keep in mind here is obviously everybody's going to be a little bit different. Uh, of course, see your doctor or consult a registered dietitian if you feel like you're at risk for kidney stones. I did want to end with a couple fun facts. Love it. Kidney stones can vary greatly in size. So they can be the size of a single pea, or they can grow to the size of a golf ball. No, shut up. Not a golf Mm -hmm. ball. No. Hold on. No, don't react too much yet, because I'm going to tell you, the largest kidney stone ever recorded, Mm -mm. and this is according to the Guinness World Records, Mm was over five <gasps> inches across at its widest no. point. Yep. No. How does that even fit in your kidney? Like, if your well, kidney it's is the, the size, size of, of a, a fist, fist, it must have taken up most <gasps> of it. Um, okay, and you actually, to piggyback on what you Ooh. said, because we do live in the southeastern United States, mm-hmm. the southeastern United States is known as the Stone Belt. The stone because belt. the Stone Belt. <laughs> because the incidence of kidney stones is higher in this region than anywhere else. It's all that so, sweet tea we're drinking down here. It, yeah, well, in the in some of the information on it attributed it to the climate, and I was like, uh, "Well, have you seen how much sweet tea people drink it's the down sweet here tea on a hot day?" Oh yeah, oh yeah. So drink your water, water, 
Just water. Don't put anything in it. Water. Um, Another thing to know is once you have a stone, you are more likely to have another. And if you've had one kidney stone, you have a 50% risk of developing another one within the next five to seven years. Oh, my goodness. I know. So, um, uh, of course, I will cite my sources um, on our page so y'all can look at the articles that I got most of this information from. But at the end of the day, drink more water. Stay hydrated, people. Stay With hydrated. water. Water. <laughs> and not that sweet tea. No sweet tea. <laughs> I love it when you do a Southern accent. Okay, Miranda, I don't know if you have your water there by you to drink or not, but... um, (laughs) Definitely not water. (laughs) (laughs) What is our motherhood topic for this week? This week, I want to talk to you about Maria Montessori. Ooh, I didn't know that was a person. Of course, I've heard of Montessori, Uh like schools, Montessori schools, but I didn't know... It was a lady. Tell me about her. It's a lady. And I'm glad that you pointed out that she was a lady because that's one of the things I really want to harp on today. Um, Because at this time, she was basically like a a woman pioneer in her field and did so much for education and child psychology. So she's incredible, incredible person. So I want to spend some time talking about her. And then I definitely want to dig into like her methods and what's the Montessori model, what are the Montessori methods? Because yeah, there's Montessori schools everywhere. We see that. We kind of sort of know what that is. I've always kind of sort of known a little bit about what it was, but I, I did a I did some research today so I could bring some Okay, of it good. Because I was going to say, if you ask me what is a Montessori <laughs> school, I was going to say, uh, what, what is do things that? differently. <laughs> it's very different. It's very different. But there's so much that she contributed. So, yeah, we'll talk about her. We'll talk about the methods. And, yeah, let's get started. So Maria Montessori was born in 1870 in Italy. I'm not even going to try to say the the province that she lived in. It's like Chiara Valle or something. And you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to make you. You're not going to know <laughs> So her family was like pretty well to do. Her dad did stuff in finance. Um, Her mom was very well educated. This was definitely not the norm. So she came from like a very well to do educated family. So she definitely kind of had a leg up already when she started. And when she was 13, she actually entered an all boys technical institute because she wanted to become an engineer. Really? Super unheard of in 1883 for a woman to be like, I'm going to be an engineer. Ciao, Bella. But she was. And she, I think it's important to know that because it's kind of the way her mind works. She's very, very scientific, um, very empirical. She actually ended up going to the University of Rome, and she studied physics, mathematics, natural sciences, and she actually even got into the faculty of medicine, one of the very first women ever to be into the faculty of medicine, and she studied there um, in all of these male-dominating fields, and she just absolutely mastered everything that she did, and she was also like a, a proud working woman during this time because she was earning scholarships, she was tutoring, and she paid for her a whole entire education. 
So that wow. was pretty impressive too. Much respect. Much respect because that's hard to do even now in the 2020s. But um, yes, Miss Miss Maria was getting it done. She had like this this really uh, kind of an interesting reputation because she was one of the only female doctors in Italy, probably in Western Europe at the time. I mean, we're talking the very late 1800s. Super well-educated, super scientific. I mean, she could hold her own with anybody she went up against. But I also think that because she was a woman, she kind of got the shaft um, in her career. Oh, imagine that. Imagine that. So she worked with a lot of poor people and Mm -hmm. especially a lot of poor children And one of the things that kept recurring when she's working with these impoverished families was there was so much learning disabilities and children who were, um, you know, with intellectual disabilities, which, of course, back then they called them retarded. Um, We do not say that word today. You know, we use the term intellectual disabilities. She was working with with those children. And this part really kind of blew my mind. And I think it's so important to know. And it speaks to really her entire method and model in general. She started working at an asylum for retarded children. Again, that's what it was called back then. Oh, wow. It was not, oof, it was not called a, a center, a resource center of enrichment for children with intellectual disabilities. It was called an asylum for retarded children. So this was back in that era where if your kid had a significant disability, you just sent you them You sent them away. Live. You sent okay. them away because how could you... Well, how could you take thank care of them? Thank goodness that doesn't exist Thank anymore. goodness. Like, oh, my gosh. Um, and thank God for Maria Montessori because she's just incredible. But she started to notice, like, these children were living in these basically, like, prison cells. They didn't have any furniture. They didn't have anything to comfort them. They were stripped of anything that was, like, joyful or brought them any kind of happiness. Like, they have no toys. They have, like, rag, raggedy clothes, you know? Yeah. And, and it was terrible. And she noticed how like how hungry they were for stimulation and for warmth and just for like a kind caring environment so she began to do everything that she could to like enrich them and take care of them and provide them with um you know that that stimulation and learning and and kindness and love so oh my gosh isn't that just amazing it gives me chills yeah that's awesome to think about So good. So in the process of doing all of that, she began to learn a lot about kids. And remember, like she was trained as a scientist. So she's very empirical. Everything's about the scientific method. Everything is about cause and effect. And, you know, what's the... Um, the results of, of a study and all of this. So she um, developed this center, another kind of asylum type center, but she kind of modified it and she implemented some of these uh measures that she had taken to introduce stimulation and learning and all of these things. And this the kids there started making like these exceptional improvements. And so word started to spread about her, about the impact that she was making. Well, I bet they did. They finally had somebody giving them attention and love. And just seeing their potential, right? Yeah. So she opened the very first Montessori school 
Um, it was called the Casa di Bambini, um, which Aww, isn't that great? <laughs> well, it's really just Italian for the House of Children or the Children's oh, House. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so I guess it sounds so much better in Italian. <laughs> I know, right? So the Bambini is is children, I suppose, in in um, okay. Italia. Um, and she opened that in Rome in 1907, and everything was designed so that children could learn naturally. And she put such an emphasis on the environment. I want to talk about that a little bit later. She very much designed this so that the children living there would have their own world. So one of the very first things that you'll recognize even today, if you go to like a Montessori school of any sort, is things are scaled down for the kids to interact with. So the counters are lower, the desks are lower, the chairs are lower. And we have a lot of that even in like the public education, but that all came from Maria Montessori because up until that point, it was kind of like children living in an adult's world. But because of her engineering mind, it's almost like she reverse engineered the environment to fit a child and to fit their size. So bookshelves are like down on the floor so kids can like go to the bookshelf and get something. She would have little china sets and tea sets where they would learn how to like set a little table properly. And uh, everything was like scaled down so that it felt like it was their home. Like they were an adult, but they were living in like this, you know, shrunken down child size adult house. Isn't that kind of cool? That's really that's really cool but also really interesting because when you think when you look at even just stuff that you can buy for your children at home so much of that came from probably what sounds like her initial idea is to make it smaller the smaller Mm -hmm. dishes the smaller kitchen set Mm -hmm. the smaller grocery store cash register toy the smaller chair table that that's cool that's exactly right i think she was the one who started all of that. She scaled these things down. And it makes me think um, Fisher had the little Melissa and Doug uh, cleaning kit with like the oh, little yeah, mop. I remember. He loved that mop. <laughs> he loved that mop. He didn't use it correctly. But, no. But that's like such a Montessori thing. Uh, because the other thing that was really important, I'll talk about it later in the methods, was about being a citizen and like being responsible and taking care of things and taking care of your environment. Wow. So she kind of developed all of that. And I think she also, because she was an engineer, one of the main things that she used was puzzles. And any kind of puzzle, whether it was like a tray with little um, things that were carved out and you would have to match, you know, the circles of different sizes and colors into a tray or um, these little you know, mallets that would have to go into a block in a certain order. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, I think, she was the one who began using that stuff with kids. And I'm even curious that I think she made that stuff because she was an engineer. Like, that's how she thought. Yeah, probably. I mean, it would make sense. She's like, well, here's what I think we need. And that doesn't exist in this market. Exactly. So let me just go out to the shop and make it. You know, I think she did. That's another big thing you'll see with Montessori is um, lots of puzzles and, and wooden, just simple wooden toys. So in 1909, she started training other teachers and she wrote a book. It's called The Montessori Method. I didn't find that book, but I found one that was called Dr. Montessori's Own Handbook. And I read that book in preparation for this episode. And it's really cool because it's written like she wrote it. And the way she talks is so weird. Like the tone of her book is very scientific. Like she's talking about the kids almost like they're test subjects. But at the same time, she has such a warmth for 
them. And she's like, you know, these are our little ones and the little ones need to come and they need to understand how to do blah, blah, blah. And it's just so cool to to hear that yeah. that tone that she uses with the kids. Interesting. Very cool. So by 1910, all these other schools started opening in Europe with the Montessori method. And we actually had the very first Montessori school in the United States open in New York in 1911. So things were going really well. She was like spreading and like becoming super popular and like changing the world. And then all of a sudden, fascism. Fascism came in. Man. I know. Ruined the party. Ruins everything. This was like in the 1930s. And because of the rise of fascism, they started closing down all her schools. They closed all her schools in Germany. They burned all of her books like in Berlin. Of course they did. They like burned her books. It was terrible. Mm. And then Mussolini was like, Maria Montessori, you have to make the schools fascist. And she said, no. And he said, fine, I'm closing your schools. So they closed all her schools in Europe or in Italy um, in 1936. So my girl was just on this like tumultuous track. Okay, she's trying to be out there changing the world. And then fascism comes along. Then she went to India in 1940, and she basically got stuck there because this was when Great Britain was occupying India. And anyway, oh, she yeah. like had to live in exile. It was terrible. Like she, she like it started oh, so good. She was doing so great, and then all this stuff happened. Um, but here's what I loved: even when she was in India, she was still training teachers damn it she was she found a passion and she she wasn't giving it up whether she's in exile or not she's gonna spread the word you can't exile a good person so she was just can't she was just doing it man she was like fascism be damned i'm gonna teach some teachers (laughs) right i'm gonna trade these teachers up so finally at the end of the war she returned to europe this was like in the late 40s and you'll like this she spent her final years in amsterdam of all places and she died peacefully in a garden in may of 1952 all of that but pretty sweet ending pretty sweet ending i wouldn't mind dying in a garden that sounds kind of lovely especially no, Amsterdam. it sounds beautiful. I'm, I'm here for it. Oh, she died in a garden in Amsterdam? Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a glorious place to yeah. go. Yeah, I mean, sign me up. <laughs> that's that's how I would love to die. I would so. <laughs> love for my hospice worker to take me to a garden in Amsterdam. Let's go. All right, so just a couple of things about her method. Um, one of the things I wanted to highlight is actually from um, the, the Montessori organization. Of course, she's still, her methods are still so prolific today, but it says Montessori students grow up to be confident, enthusiastic, and self-directed learners and citizens accountable to both themselves and their community. They think critically, they work collaboratively, they act boldly and with integrity. And I just can't think of like anything better than all of that. That sounds That all sounded fantastic. So amazing. Um, Again, I talked about like a lot of the toys and puzzles and activities that she would use. And she was really specific because depending on the age of the child with whom she works, she would, you know, use different methods and modalities to teach them things um, as they were learning. I do want to highlight a couple of her principles. And these aren't necessarily spelled out in her book. It's not like she ever said Maria's seven principles of success. You know, she wasn't she wasn't like a marketer. She just kind of wrote all of this stuff and and 
since then, people have gotten a hold of it and they've tried to synthesize and and build these frameworks. Um, but definitely a, a principle or a theme that you find throughout her work is about respect for the child, which I think is so huge, especially considering that she worked with children with disabilities to start. She yeah. respects children. She respects their ability to learn. She respects just them as a person and their potential and ability to grow, which is awesome. The second principle or theme that you see with her is that children have absorbent minds. And one of the things she really worked on with that is, and and they didn't have a word for it back when she was working with with kids. She never called it this, but it's really mindfulness. It's really mindfulness and meditation. She would do almost sensory deprivation exercises with children where she would get them to wear blindfolds and handle different shapes. Like she would have like, here's a cube, here's a sphere, here's a pyramid, here's a cone. And and they would really just get in tune with their sense of touch um, or whatever sense they were using. And she would do a lot of these sensory isolation exercises to help them learn. Again, very scientific, very empirical. Very scientific, very cool. Also gives me flashbacks to the one Halloween sleepover I went to at the Girl Scout camp where we had to wear blindfolds and reach our hands into bags full of gross stuff. Ew! Ew! (laughs) I didn't stay in the Girl Scouts after that for very long. (laughs) That doesn't sound like an exercise you would enjoy. No. (laughs) Me, on the other hand, I'd be like, let's go, baby. Stick my hand in there. I wouldn't mind being the one having others do it, but I don't want my hand in that bag. I love that so much. (laughs) Just another area where we are like polar opposites. I know. There's so many. I'd be like, stick my hand in that bag. I want to touch it. I'd be like, that's fine. I will will make the bags for you. I will get it all ready, but I am not reaching in there. That's amazing. But yeah, she she would do that. She'd sit them at a little desk with a blindfold and, and have them like manipulate an object or, or a puzzle or something. And she had this sense, uh, well, she had a theory that if you're sitting really still, if you're being mindful, it prepares your mind to learn. So she used movement very carefully when she taught. Um, and she definitely emphasized the importance of stillness and the importance of silence, because those were the things that could contrast with your learning. That's genius. Really cool. Um, She believed in sensitive periods. So children are capable of learning different things at different ages. Again, you have to kind of tune in with, with what's a sensitive period for them. What do you need to focus on? And again, just environment. Environment was so important to her and the emphasis that she put on preparing an enriching environment for children. And I want to read a direct quote from her, from from her book, her personal handbook. It said, education has determined for our children an environment. Owing to their environment, which offers means adapted and measured to meet the needs of their physical development, our children have acquired a fundamental type which is common to all. They have coordinated their movements in various kinds of manual work about the house and so have acquired a characteristic independence of action. When you went into like one of her schools or one of her um, centers, Everything was very orderly. Things belonged in certain places. Things were very organized. Things had to be kept a certain way. And the children were responsible for, like, cleaning and putting things back where they go. And she she really believed that if you eliminated 
disorder, then children would be free to create and imagine and do all of this in a in a safe and constructive environment. So, which I definitely one hundred percent agree with as an adult with I, ADHD. Yes, <laughs> I, eliminate I as much as well. disorder as possible, <laughs> and then you can really have um, you know freedom within those parameters to explore and create. Uh, and then principle number five was auto education or just the sense that like you learn naturally, you learn naturally when you're exposed to things and when you're just given the right environment, education kind of automatically happens, learning kind of automatically happens. And we learn through trial and error, cause and effect, trying different things. And it's just beautiful to to really think about the impact that she had. I think about like every toy that I bought for my son when he was a baby. Um, the little, remember the little tower with the rings that like slide oh, down yeah. and they're different sizes? Like classic, classic Fisher Price toy. Montessori, Montessori. Yep. Remember the little cups that fit within each other and you can kind mm-hmm. of like, they, they all fit together yep. the only one way? Montessori. <laughs> or probably also the like bin with the different shapes that only fit through one yep. hole. Exactly. Montessori. All of these things are things Classic. that she imagined. Right. And it's just like the colors and, and even in her handbook, she's got a little, um, the back page is like, here's the, here's all the toys that the kids play with. Here's the design. And this is how you know, they were made or again, I'm still suspicious that she didn't make these things herself. So (laughs) thank you, Maria Montessori, for being just such an incredible woman and um, for giving us all of these amazing gifts and frameworks to work with our little ones. Oh, and I do I do have one quote that I want to read from her that again, just kind of gives me chills. This is straight from her own handbook. It says, oh my gosh, I love this so much. Yet, On the other hand, I would not say that the goodness of our little ones in their freedom will solve the problem of the absolute goodness or wickedness of man. We can only say that we have made a contribution to the cause of goodness by removing obstacles which were the cause of violence and rebellion. Let us render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. I know. How sweet. She's talking about how, like, people people used to ask her all the time um, if people were inherently good or evil because she was working so closely with kids. And, right. and she just kept coming back to, it's all about the environment. It's all about the environment. And and that last statement about giving giving unto Caesar what is Caesar, giving unto God what is God's, it's like she believed that if you set these kids up in, you know, a holistic, enriching environment, they would be good to go. That is awesome. What a woman. Yeah. I had no idea. She's so great. I'm glad you did that topic, though, because we all see Montessori schools and like it's a term that we have all know or have passed by or we've had kids or no kids that have gone to them. And I had no idea where it all came from. That's really cool. OK, Miranda, so we're going to switch roles today. Do you have a spotlight for us this week? I do. As I was digging through all of this wonderful information about Maria Montessori, I stumbled upon um, the Montessori Family Alliance, and I just want to recognize them in this episode today. They are an international network of Montessori parents, 
teachers, and friends of the Montessori model. There's a lot of different benefits. You can become a member of the Alliance, and one of the best benefits that you get there is uh, the Montessori Family Magazine called Tomorrow's Child. It's a parent resource. Um, They also have a library. They have blogs and all kinds of tips for bringing Montessori home. So if you're a homeschooling parent, this is a really great resource. Um, They also have a private Facebook group and exclusive benefits to members. So they're very well known. They're very trusted, practical and reliable information, answers and advice for families all over the world for nearly 30 years. So definitely check them out. Um, You can visit Montessori.org to learn more. They have a couple of different organizations. They have a foundation. They have the International Montessori Council, which is more for like educators. But the Family Alliance is the one I want to hone in on today. Um, it's, It's really for parents. They offer webinars, school directories, and definitely things you can do in your family life to kind of bring the Montessori model into your home. Awesome. Yeah. Everybody, check it out. Check it out. If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at Mother Mayhem Podcast at gmail.com.